This A's Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Go to linksoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to nestbedding.com. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away back, goal! Oh, hey, it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise, here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe, from humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of A's Cast Live. As oh yeah, right, a little more, a little more, little more. All right, here we go. We got a packed show for you today. The Houston Astros are in town, and it is time to do one thing. If I could be in the clubhouse today and I could talk to these guys and I could say, all right, what's our mission here, gentlemen? Our mission is one thing and one thing only, and that is to play spoiler. And by playing spoiler, you're going to learn how to win. You're going to learn how to be competitive. You're going to learn how to beat teams that are better than you are. They're better constructed. They're better players. They're better paid. But you know what? doesn't matter because you're learning how to play as a group, as a unit. And when you take a group of players and they all start pulling on the same rope and they all have the same goal, it's amazing what can happen. You just took two out of three from the Boston Red Sox. They're walking out of here going, damn. We screwed that one up. Uh Uh-huh. Now here's the Houston Astros, who they're trying to chase down the Texas Rangers. Take three out of four from them. And you might think, Townsend, are you crazy? Yeah, I am crazy. That's where we're at. It's time to play spoiler, and it's time to relish the moment. Love every second of it. Every day, I can't wait to get to the ballpark. I can't wait to put my uniform on. I can't wait to go to my locker. I can't wait to get out for BP. There's the Astros. Screw those guys. We're going to hammer those guys today. I can't wait for it every day. That's how this thing needs to be. And when you do that and you have that mentality, first of all, you've got nothing to lose. That's the one thing. You play loose. You play free. You've got nothing to lose. Zero. Johnny Gomes said it best, and I've been saying it to you, and I'm trying to live by this now in my life. I think it's a great way we should all live our life. Every day is an audition. Every day. Nothing's given to you. Every day you got to earn it. Every day we show up here, Ace Cast Live, we're here to deliver for you. Every day. We're not mailing it in. We got a great show for you today. Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs. He's kind of Mr. Hall of Fame. He's going to be on his way to Cooperstown. He is going to join us coming up here a little bit later. Former All-Star, former A, but his best years, obviously, with the Padres and the Reds from Oakland. 
and you see him on NBC, NBC Sports California, I'll be doing the show with him today. It's my last day here. Uh, not my last day forever, but my last day for this, this home, run. This homestand. This homestand. I've done seven straight games as of today. I'll be doing A's pre- and post-game live later on today with the great Bip Roberts. Bip Roberts is going to join us. Bip has some programs he's doing in Oakland and in Richmond that I think people are going to be very interested in. Plus, we'll talk about the dog days of summer. Did you know it's hot? I know Bay Area people, especially who live around the Bay, have a little hard time with heat. Um, if you live in San Francisco, you live in Oakland, you're a little bit in the North Bay, more than a little bit in the South Bay. If you live near the water, oh my God, it gets in the eighties. You can't breathe to where the rest of us in civilization, we're used to hot weather. If I go to Livermore, it's summertime. San Jose, it's summertime. If I go to Sacramento, if I go to the Valley, it's summertime. If I go anywhere around the country. Just doing these shows with Johnny Gomes. It's 112 at his house. Well, that's what happens in Arizona. It's hot. So you know what that means? It means it's hot everywhere else. And it's the dog days of summer. It's you're going to the East Coast and you're playing in the humidity. You're playing. I mean, it's tough. We're in those dog days and it's great. Yeah, and uh, Steve Sparks will be joining us at 4.30. What time? Sparksy? 4.30 for Sparksy. The former, knuckleballer? The former, former A. Former A, yeah. You know, you know, you know, what team he was on before he got traded to the A's, right? Detroit. The Detroit team. You didn't think I'd know that, did the, you? Detroit team lost 119 games. You didn't think I'd know that, did you? Uh, I figured you would know. You're you're a smart baseball guy. You're really one of those guys. You're yeah. a baseball guy. Yeah. By the way, you mentioned how hot it was yesterday. My friends and I had the brilliant idea to go play pickleball and basketball when it was. It was like what 90 in San Jose, 85, 90. Totally fine. Totally fine. We made it. We survived. We're here. Well, uh, a comedian has recently come out and, and dr- addressed exactly what pickleball is. Uh, I heard you. you are told you ready? Are you ready? Yeah, let, let's hear because we have some we have some uh, A's employees who are pickleball um, fans as well. Okay, so for if because I know this is on in the A's offices for all you pickleball people, I heard a comedian. I think he might have hit the nail on the head. Pickleball is what people are too old to play tennis. Young people who are too lazy to play tennis and cheap people who don't want to play golf. That's what pickleball is. I see the first two. I don't know how the golf ties into it, but. Well, I mean, golf, I mean, you're, you're talking about well over 100 bucks if you're going to be playing golf, and then you got to buy clubs, and you got to have shoes, you got to have balls. Yeah, I think I got golf's, my. Golf's an expensive sport. I think I got my two pickleball paddles on Amazon for $35 on Prime Day. So how about young, lazy, and cheap? I used to play tennis, pick tennis recreationally. That was what We're I not said. talking tennis, we're talking golf. Well, I'm saying tennis. I played it about 10 years ago when I was 23, not 30, not 34. Do we now? I mean, I'm looking at the notes here. So we know JP France today, and it was a bunch of TBAs for the Astros. Is it going to be Fromber and then Christian Javier and then TBD? Is that really where we're at? Do we know? Let me log into the old Twitter machine and see what our, our – uh, well, now that we have a... We should have the game notes are out by now. I don't need no Twitter machine. Well, yeah, the, I think the game notes are out, but I haven't got a chance to look at them. Uh, well, remember, our, our good friend Matt Kawahara now covers the Astros, so I'm sure, let's see if Matt tweeted it out. Uh, Matt, let's see, has he have anything? N- no. Because um, it is bizarre at this time of the year. Oh, no, yep. Uh, J.P. France, Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, and then 
TBA. Okay. So these, these notes are correct. A's are going to go Hogan Harris. We're not doing an opener today, right? I don't think so. Because the opener has not been working for the green and gold. Do not want to hear about an opener. Oh, uh, let's see. I'm going to opener. Ch- opener and Hogan Harris. Nope. Has, o- Hogan Harris is the starter. Hogan Harris in the opener has been a disaster. It's been an absolute disaster. So you know what? Let this kid start. I mean, it's it's bottom line. We're going to go Hogan Harris, J.P. Sears, Paul Blackburn, and Luis Medina. Why not three out of four? I mean, J.P. Sears has been your best pitcher. Blackburn still gives you quality, and you never know. This could be. Paul Blackburn's last start as an A. Wow. And then, well. You, you're not wrong. I mean, straight Fuji last night. I, I didn't see Fuji's last game being against Boston, but I mean, it happened. L- let's be honest. It's trade season. Thanks, for, by the way. Thanks for everything, Fuji. If our social media does another thank you to somebody. <laughs> Fuji, friend of the program. I mean, I'm still trying to get over when we thank Christian Pache for hitting a buck 60. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We really thank Christian Pache for his time with the A's. I get it. It's 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 nice. It's you know. We thank Christian Pache for hitting a buck sixty. Thanks for the memories. Uh, but when you got Medina, by the way, funky cold Medina, last start the way he looked. As I've been telling you, throw the damn curveball. It's your best. Pitch outside of your fastball, high fast. Can I do? I need to go back to our Andrew Chafin interview. <laughs> fastball up, fastball down, breaking ball in the dirt. Oh, great! So, do you watch video? Yeah, all that fastball up, fastball down, breaking ball in the dirt. I'll never forget that. I thought I was so excited to have him on. Oh, you told such... me. Oh, gee, I, I've seen him before. He's gonna be a great interview. Fastball up, fastball down, breaking ball in the dirt. That's all we got from him. Something about lefty relievers that come on. At, uh, so the Jake Deakman, same thing. Y- you wear the, sh- the shirt, failed starter, da-da-da. Fastball up, fastball down, breaking ball in dirt. It's all I do. Yeah, that's all he said the whole time. Yeah. Oh, great. Thanks. And that'll be your pregame show interview also. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Medina, bring me high cheese up and then bring me the big hook. You want to mix in the slider, change up, great. Less sliders, more hard breaking balls. I'm, why not three out of four? Why not start start getting into the mentality of being the spoiler? Yes, big news yesterday. It actually went down as we were doing a clubhouse show. Got so many shows now. Let's <laughs> say as we were doing the A's clubhouse show last night, uh, or I should say yesterday, it came down. The A's have made the move, and Fuji. To me, I absolutely love the move. Get something for Fuji. I don't necessarily – okay, I'm not thrilled about the return. I mean, you're going to give me a lefty who's 26 years old. I mean – Hey, you always want to get younger. We got younger. I mean, you got younger. Easton Lucas, okay. I, I, I want to get way younger. Like, get me a guy that could – Low maybe, A ball. Or? Maybe be here in 27 and 28. But uh, – yeah, Fuji Fuji was an experiment. The reason why the A's got Fuji was they told Scott Boris, nobody's looking to start him. Boris knew it. A's knew it. We'll pay you $3 million. We'll give him the opportunity to start. 
Fuji said, I'm in. And he had a couple first-class tickets for his mom to come out here. We'll pay for the interpreter. We'll pay for your massage guy, whatever the hell he was called. We took care of all that. We took it because we knew all along, folks, you have to understand, he was never going to be here long term. Fuji was clearly a guy to bring in. Hopefully he starts. Hopefully he's good. And hopefully you flip him for something. And in the end, he was awful. Fuji was awful. And luckily, the last month actually became serviceable and at times very good as a reliever. Flip him while someone's going to be interested. You realize his last outing, if you were watching it on television, he's warming up in the bullpen and they have to keep stopping the game because a ball keeps going into left field from the bullpen. Why? Because if you ever watch Fuji in the bullpen, his control is so awful, he can't keep it in a radius where the catcher can catch it and keep the ball from going into left field. It's like the catcher needed a screen behind him. The very last game, I think they had to stop play three or four times because he threw the ball into left field, pitching, warming up in the bullpen. Get rid of him. And the A's will see what this Easton Lucas guy can do, but Fuji was always going to be somebody that was going to be flipped. Uh, the news that's not good today, and uh, we'll talk to him later about it, but I hate, I mean, you got Ryan Noda. Steps up. You clearly, if you're watching the game, saw a difference in his hitting. He did not take a step. He shortened up. Bang. Hits a two-run. Was it a two-run shot or a solo bomb against the lefty? Against the opener against the uh, Red Sox? Uh, Whatever. I think it was yeah, a solo. I think it was solo, yeah. Hits a bomb. Next at-bat, hits a double. And you're like, there is a clear approach change by Ryan Oda that looks great. Immediately noticed it. Short, compact, quick. Ryan Noda, if he continues on a path of getting better offensively to go with his unbelievable eye at the plate, to go with his terrific defense at first place, you got a first baseman. And is there a little bit of a dilemma? What to do with Soderstrom? I, I, I warrant that. But now... With no to being out, I hate that. I hate this fractured jaw thing. Jonah Bride's up. But always let's look at a positive. Now Soderstrom, I didn't even look. Not playing first, catching. Seth Brown's playing first. Come on, front office. This is your chance to have Soderstrom play first base every day. I think the I'm going to go with the rationale behind it is that Langoliers need the day off. He was supposed to have yesterday off, but had to get put in the lineup. All right. So, so tomorrow? Theoretically, you hope so. But yeah. Tomorrow we're back on the field. I, I, no, in the treehouse. We're back at the Coliseum tomorrow. Correct, yes. Cross my fingers, we're back at the Coliseum tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> I want to see Soderstrom playing first base. With Noda out, this gives you ample time for the next few days to play first base and let him get used to that position at the big league level. I get it. Hogan Harris is pitching. They're familiar with each other. He's already caught him at the big league level. He caught him down in AAA. I get all of that. But, man, do we really need to start thinking about the future. That's what's smart. Smart teams always think about the future. And I'll hear our manager and I'll hear our GM, and we'll have the manager on the show tomorrow. Remind me, I got to text him. Um, I get it. They want to win games now. And I, correct, I'm not in their position. 
I'm not here. I, I I'm not on the field. I'm not in uniform. Even though my pass says I'm in the front office. <laughs> yeah, it's mine. Yeah. It says we're in the front office. Yes, correct. But we're not in the front office. <clears throat> we're not. I Which that, front office are we? Uh, they consider us marketing, but we're not even part of marketing, really. We're, I mean, we're broadcasting, but we're under the marketing department. Our press pass says front office, yeah. so can we start sitting in on the GM meetings? Uh, I don't know how Dave would can feel Can you imagine about if we that? just walked in and Force just looks at us? Because, I mean, he already thinks we're bozos. Can you imagine <laughs> if he walks in and we go, hey, front office. These are my ideas, David. You know, he's a big pickle pickleball guy. Maybe I should go get on the court with him. We'll bring it up. Are you because he is a golfer? Is this just because you're <laughs> you're getting lazy, so you're playing pickleball? Is that what it is? But I got some I got some ideas I want to run by you. <laughs> I've never played pickleball, but I live across the street from a park where we have tennis courts in the park, and on the other side of the tennis courts used to be where people just warmed up because, you know, there's the wall that people warmed up before they played tennis. They've now turned that into pickleball. So right across the street from my house, well, the the, the Little League fields are right across. Yeah. From, or, Diagonal. The, yeah, the Little League right across the street. A little bit over here to the right is the hoops and the uh, – I haven't gone out and run full court lately. Well, well we did that yesterday. Probably um, not going to do that anytime We, we did soon. it yesterday in, in your neck of the woods also, not your – by your house, but close. But pickleball is uh, right across the street from my house, and I see a lot of old, lot of uh, uh, people who are older in life playing it. Uh, two people, good in the, for them. Two people in the organization besides David Force to like it. Uh, Amelia, Amelia Schimmel, and uh, I'd go lazy yeah. on that. And Isabella, who also works in the control. I'm uh, seriously lazy on that. Yeah, so there she's, you go. She's like, she's like, apparently, I've been 24, 25. Yeah. I've been told our our boss has a pickleball court in his backyard. There is no way the great Delaire Lawors is out there in tight shorts playing pickleball in Brentwood, California. When it's 115. Not Brentwood, Los, Los Angeles, and OJ's house is gone. Brentwood in the, uh, in the East Bay. No way is Delaire playing pickleball. He might be there right now as we speak. Who knows? Well, no. No way. After the game yesterday, he might have been. No way. He may have played the court the day they built it. He may have played on it the day they <laughs> built it. There's no way. Yeah, guys, this court, this court runs well. I think I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm good with it. So, yeah, I'm looking at the lineup now. I mean, because uh, let me ask you a question. Let me ask everybody a question. So, if you think, because you might watch this show and go, Townsend's a little bit of a hothead. Townsend can run a little hot. Townsend may have a little too, too many opinions. Okay. I want Soderstrom playing first base. Because Soderstrom's future is at first base or somewhere else, not at catcher. Why? Because the great Ray Fossey taught me, you want your offensive players not playing catcher because they get beat up. Look at my hands. And he'd show you his hands and his fingers were going all different places, right? So, if you think I'm nuts, right? If I maybe I don't follow this team enough, I don't watch every inning of every single game. How many games did Seth Brown play spring training first base? I believe the great Johnny Dosko, uh, who's on TV today with Dallas Braden, said that he didn't play any games in spring training. Zero. Okay. Seth Brown played in zero games first play first base spring training. How many games he's played in first base in his career? No, no. How many games has he played this year at first base? I'm going to go with none. Actually, uh, I think it's none. Zero. 
Unless he's come in at some point as a defensive replacement, and I don't remember you know, it. There's one game where he actually did play first. It says he didn't start; he just played there. He just played. Okay, so there's one game where they shifted around. So you're telling me 84 games last year first. As this team should be constantly building for the future. Everything should be about the future. That today you're going to put Seth Brown, who's 30 years old, who's not going to be here long term. Love him, and I think he should be here now as a mentor guy. But long term, that it's more important that that Soderstrom, while Noda's out, this is the time for him to play first base, to put him behind the dish so you can play Seth Brown, who's played first base one time since last year. One time. No spring training. This is game – I don't have my scorebook. Is this game 97 or 98? This is game 99, isn't it? Okay, if it's game 99. Right, we're 27 and 71. Yeah, it's 98 games. 99 games. Yeah. This is game 99. He's played first base one time, and you're going to try and sell me. We're trying. Well, this is about winning. What? I'm I'm with you. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because of giving Langoliers a doubt. You do that. That's smart. Me, I'm going to challenge it. I'm going to go. But if if tomorrow he's not not playing first base, then I think we have something. This goes with Jordan Diaz not playing the first two games out of the the All-Star break. What? Yeah, How is Jordan Diaz not playing every day? Well, I that one confuses me. Where's Geloff? He better be yeah, playing. He's, he's All right, he's man. playing. Yeah, second base batting six. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is time. Brutal honesty. You're 28 years. You're 28 years old or older. What? 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 What are we doing here? Start thinking like the Astros back in the day. Start thinking like the Baltimore Orioles did a few years ago. Think like the Chicago Cubs did years ago. Find, let the young players figure it out and win and win here now. Let them roll the dice. I don't get it. I, you may, there may be explanations and splits and blah, 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 blah. None of that's going to matter three, four years from now. You know, the guy that the can... next time we're in the playoffs, we're not going to be sitting here going, remember when Seth Brown played first base for his first start of the year, the 99th game in against the Houston Astros? You remember that? No. Do, you, do, you, do you think three years from now when we're in the playoffs, we're going to start the pregame show? With, remember when Seth Brown was playing first base? <laughs> no. No? You don't yeah. think we're going to do that? Yeah. I mean, there's an easier answer. Or how about – in a four-game series with Noda out and Soderstrom played first base all four games, maybe he goes off and we'd be saying, hey, Soderstrom's one of the top guys in the league right now. He's going for the MVP. Remember that series against Houston back in 2023 when we made a commitment to let him play first every day and he really took off? That's something we may say in the pregame show when we're in the playoffs in three years from now. The light Not bulb Seth off. Brown. Yeah. There's another guy that can catch, by the way. Jonah Brad got caught up. He can catch. Remember, he like, how many games? Is well, he, he in the line? Today? No, he's not in the lineup today. Here's another guy I'm enjoying right now. Is everybody enjoying JJ Blade? Oh, you're asking me. The answer is yes. I thought I'm I don't, asking I think, everybody out there. I didn't think I had an answer. I'm giving everybody a moment mm-hmm. to think about. It. Are you enjoying watching JJ Blade? He's figuring out the play. Left center line drive out yesterday. Yakking one down down uh, into right field. Watching him drive the baseball, watching him play. And if you're watching him play and you understand defense, you're realizing right now he's our best. He is the best option in center field right now. 
Yeah, I was going to say, he's probably the best out defensive outfielder the team has right now. He can run. He can throw. He gets great, great jumps, good routes. The guy can play center field. So then that makes you think, okay, what do you do with Ruiz when he gets back? Are you immediately going to throw Ruiz back out there knowing he's not a center fielder? Where do you put him then? I don't know. Do you, do you, That's why you've got all these games left to figure it out. I would say, do you dare put him back in the infield? But I don't know if you want to test. Try no, because Geloff's got to play second base. Yeah, and you got to. Allen's got to play short until someone. Allen's the shortstop until somebody else. Until what? Hernandez, Logan Davidson, Jacob Wilson. Max Muncy. Max two Max Muncy. What about what about? Kevin it's always Smith. weird when someone says Max Muncy to me. Uh, speaking of uh, Max Muncy, Jacob Wilson, uh, Lucas, uh, the kid that we've got, um, also from Thousand Oaks High School. Wow, we got a lot of kids. Yeah. Thousand Oaks, Westlake area. Yeah, they really, they really like that high school. You know who also <laughs> went to Westlake High was uh, Christian Yelich. Uh, yeah, there's Lake a couple High. guys in the majors. Um, I was just Giolito, I think. I was just in Westlake. It's a big During area. During the All Star break, I was in Westlake. My uh, buddies uh, lives up there. The great Mark Podesta, who now is down there. I was up in Westlake hanging out. Um, I went to the. Uh, I I went to the. I went to a bunch of stuff during the uh, All Star break. It's a nice little trip. That's a great area. But uh, yeah, and and I didn't realize Jacob Wilson and, and Max Muncie two played high school together. Yeah, is that I, team any good? I, I think Jack was a coach too. Well, I'll tell you what, I didn't realize like. You can get somebody's height and weight, and you go, oh, okay. It wasn't until I saw the family photo, the Wilson family. Of course, Jack, you're a Pirate fan. He was a great shortstop back in the day. He was Defensively awesome, yes. He was an all-star, right? Decent hitter. He had, a good, he had a good year in 04. So you got Jack Wilson, Mrs. Wilson, uh, what, there was two sisters? Yeah. And, and Jacob. And wow, Jacob's towering over everybody. I didn't realize he's a tall kid. Because when we had him on the show, he's sitting down. He he looks, you know, he looks like a kid, right, out of college. He's a pretty big dude at six three. I mean, six threes. I mean, think about it. what's a rod six four. Yeah, remember when That's we pretty six three? How many shortstops are six three? Remember when we had Soderstrom on? We were like, oh wow, this kid. You know, he's tall, but he was kind of. He was wasn't he didn't oh, fill he, in yet? He looked like a high schooler. Yeah, yeah same with and Will, yeah. but Wilson's a college kid. So hopefully he f- builds up some muscle. I mean, J- but Jacob Wilson, well, he's six three. Yeah. I mean, he's got size. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, I want to see right now. This is the auditioning time. This is why I want to see Soderstrom at first base, right? Soderstrom and Geloff at first and second base could be your future for years to come. Years. And now with Noda out, this gives you the opportunity because right now Noda has to play. Noda has proved he. He has earned the right to play. But if he's going to be out, what's your next best option? To me, that's what – let's see Soderstrom's growth. Seth Brown is not your future – I mean, Seth Brown is starting for the first time at first base since last season. Correct. And he's a career outfielder. Uh, correct. He, like I said, 84 games last year first. But, I mean, year before that, uh, 2021, six games – 2023 games. I remember he was going back and forth in uh, in 19 uh, four games. Cody Thomas, you know I've been a big Cody Thomas fan. I'm happy he got his first home run. I remember in the off season I kept saying Cody Thomas, and I'm sure people are like, really Cody Thomas. I'm telling you, uh, Bayo had never had a home run hit off his changeup by a lefty. 
Cody Thomas is the first guy, and the fact they compare the him to Pedro Martinez is disgusting. It's like you guys are morons. Baby Pedro, he didn't even sniff Pedro Martinez. If you can get an ERA under two for consecutive years like Pedro did, then you talk to me. Pedro was the best pitcher in baseball from 99-03. Did, did, did you watch yesterday and think Pedro Martinez at all? Yeah, absolutely not. No. Uh, but Cody Thomas, he's been another guy like, okay, he's healthy. He's cheap. I know he's older, but this is a guy who played football at Oklahoma. This is a guy who was a quarterback at the University of Oklahoma. When Lincoln Riley is recruiting you, you know athletically he's tall, he can run, he can throw. You don't, Only premier athletes go to Oklahoma to play quarterback these days, whether it was under Bob Stoops or Lincoln Riley, bottom line. And, of course, we drafted Kyler Murray. So you got this guy who's a premier athlete who's starting to figure it out. He needs to get run in the outfield. Playing today, playing right, hitting eighth. You know who one of, one of my favorite Oklahoma Sooner fans of all time is? Mm, um, there could be so many. Well, he used to pitch for the A's. Is, it, is that our next guest? He used to throw a knuckleball. Oh, is it this guy? Is it this guy? It is that guy. It is this guy. How about that? How about how about an Oklahoma Sooner out in right field? Can we give Cody Thomas some playing time? Oh, 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 Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. You ever heard that? Uh, I think of Keith Jackson in Oklahoma. Oh, Nelly. I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you played either for Bob Stoops or you played for Lincoln Riley and you're a quarterback at Oklahoma, you're an extremely good athlete. And we looked at this Cody Thomas. I've been watching him, and he's now healthy. I'm going, look at his size. Look at his ability to run. Obviously, he's got a rocket arm. He's got power. He hit the first ever changeup out of the ballpark as a lefty against Bayo yesterday against Boston. You know, Sparksy, isn't this a point when you – I mean, you've always talked fondly about the A's, and and you love being out here. I mean, you know at this point, like, isn't this the time to let guys play and figure out what you got? I think so. I mean, I'm sure Kotze has a, a big say in that. I'm sure he wants the best athletes out there and see what they could do guys with ceilings you know that he can teach he seems like a great teacher Kotze, who can go out there and help somebody along especially an outfielder as far as his routes go it can maximize his his tools that he already has you know you think back to the early days of lunau and the astros and jim crane takes over and bo porter and the original rebuild Kind of like talk us through that process, what the mentality was of young players and trying to figure out, envisioning who's going to be here long term. Well, it was a clear plan, and they were very transparent to begin with. And they said, listen, this isn't going to be easy, but this is what we have to do to have sustained success. And what they had to do is they had to get a better farm system. At that time, they had the 30th ranked farm system in baseball along with a bad team at the major league level. So they said, listen, we're going to draft guys and we're going to push them along, but uh, the product you're going to see at the major league level is more of an open tryouts. And, you know, you're talking about some of these guys coming up with Oakland right now. Yeah. Who's going to sift through that? And for the Astros, you know, we talk about this all the time. There's a couple of guys that we probably knew that were going to sift through that at the time when they were really bad, and that was Altuve. Uh, Dallas Keuchel was a little iffy, but he did. And the other was Marwin Gonzalez, who was a Rule 5 pick at the time, who ended up 
being an integral member of the, the championship team just a few years later. So uh, that's all we talked about, though, on the broadcast. And that was pushed, you know, in the notes and everything else was this is what George Springer is doing. This is what Carlos Correa is doing. This is what so-and-so is doing at, at the minor league level. And this is what they had to look forward to. You know, the last couple of days doing TV here up in San Francisco, Johnny Gomes, who two-time World Series champion, was a great leader for us in 2012, kept talking about how every day at the big league level is an audition. I think about your career. I think about all these guys' careers now. We don't think about that, but it truly is, and I especially think about with Oakland and with Houston back in the day. Every yeah. single game, every single day up here is an audition, not only for your team, but the other 29 teams. But it's painful. You know, I, I was just looking at the notes today in the Astros when they went to the American League, lost their first 20 of 24 against a, a really good Oakland team. Yeah. So it was a bit of a role reversal to, to an extent, but it wasn't without a lot of good times as far as these two organizations were concerned, where they were both at the, the top level in, in the American League West when they were battling it out with those great teams. So I know it's disheartening. You know, it's disheartening for me to see what this A's could have been, uh, you know, with Sean Murphy and Matt Chapman and Matt Olson. And we can go on and on. And I'm sure you guys have done it over and over, seeing how well guys have done with for other teams. And that's hard to take. But it's just the, it's the nature of the beast right now. So they got to go through uh, some growing pains with a lot of these players. But I'm big on talent, you know, and I think talent in the end wins. And if you can teach them to play the game the right way, I think that's the way to go about it. It's still hard to believe we haven't had a repeat champion since the Yankees of the late 90s into 2000. Yep. It just shows you how tough it is and how everybody gets better. And it's more of a tournament than ever before with expanded playoffs. Yep. You know, looking at the Astros right now, Four and a half games back of the Texas Rangers. I'm not even going to bring up the wild card because I know the Astros are not about the wild card. It's about chasing down Texas. We're getting down to the deadline here. Everybody's phones are heating up. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with Houston? Do you think they're going to be buyers? I don't even really know how many people are that good as sellers and who who really has a lot to sell. But just what, what do you think the Astros are looking for and could possibly do here going up to the deadline? Well, I don't think there's a lot on the shelf right now, and there are a lot of buyers. So yeah. it's slim pickings because both centrals, American and National League, it's still up for grabs. I think just about every team in both of those divisions still probably think they have a chance to get to the playoffs in the wild card scenario. So uh, the Astros team is not the same as what they were uh, in the last few years, and I think it has a lot to do with how deep they've gone into the playoffs year after year after year. There just hasn't been as much recovery time and. When you couple that with the fact that they played in the WBC and a lot of their pitchers and a lot of their players had to ramp it up in the middle of March with little recovery time playing until November 5th, I think it's hurt them, to be honest with you. They, they've got four of the four of their relievers have the uh, most appearances, and they're all in the top 10 of most appearances in the major leagues right now, still coming off uh, of a lack of rest uh, in the offseason. And I think that's going to catch up to them. It already has in effectiveness with a couple of these guys, but I think it's going to hurt them as we go along. They need fresh blood. They've got to go out there and get a couple of pitchers, one a starter and maybe one or two relievers and maybe a left-handed bat. I think that's what they're looking at right now. Uh, do they have enough in the minor leagues or at the big league level as far as their uh, disposable, uh, with air quotes, say, uh, pieces 
uh, to get that done, that remains to be seen. Well, you and I have talked about it. I know we, we're, we're like dinosaurs talking about starting pitching. You and I have discussed it. We hate it. We just had Boston here. Boston was the hottest team in July. They're throwing opener after opener at us. The San Francisco Giants have been one of the hotter teams. They've been throwing a ton of openers. It's like uh, starting pitching. Uh, where is it? Who's got it? How do you get it? How do you sustain it? How do you keep it healthy? It's like it, it, it is a major problem. I think you've got to train differently, Chris. You know, with the pitch timer, it's a little different now. And these guys throwing every pitch as hard as they can. They don't have as much time to recover to do it over and over again. And guys just aren't getting very deep into the ball game. So when that happens, it's a domino effect with the with the relief core, because those guys are getting used more and, and a little longer. Uh, so it just, it, it trickles. So how do you train a little more anaerobically than aerobically uh, because you only have 15 or 20 seconds to recover after you just let one go at 97 miles per hour? It's a little tougher, you know, to get deeper into the game unless you teach these guys to pitch a little bit. And I'm not saying all the way, but a little bit like guys did 25 years ago where they changed speeds on everything rather than just let it go, everything, you know, sometimes take four miles per hour off of your fastball and get a guy out front and get an easy out. Things of that nature, I think, might go a long way. Well, one thing a lot of people, unless you're following it or you got them on your fantasy team like I do, is Jordan Alvarez. We've been waiting for him. I saw in the notes that he had a base hit yesterday in Sugar Land. Uh, You know, this guy is truly one of the best offensive forces in all of baseball. I have to think the way the Astros have still played and you're getting him back soon has got to be a big sigh of relief for Dusty Baker. Yeah, when you talk about the trade deadline, you you have to factor in that. That's almost like a trade. You get him back. Him and Altuve have only played in 13 games together all season long. Wow. It's it's been a nightmare for uh, for them in that regard. And that's two players that had an OPS above 900 last year. So they're losing a lot uh, with Altuve, too. Uh, They get both of those guys back. It's a it's a flip of the coin whether or not you get Brantley that's been a, a struggle to get him on the field this year he hasn't played uh and then we'll we'll see with Urquidy and it seems like Urquidy is going to be able to uh help the rotation at some point maybe they can go to a six-man rotation like they did last year uh, but Jordan Alvarez what's freaky about what he did to begin the season he was one of the hottest hitters for the first couple months Chris you know he didn't even play in spring training until the last two exhibition games he only got seven ABs before the season began and he was good to go and he was knocking the ball all over the ballpark already. Yeah, straight talent. He's got just unbelievable talent. Kyle great, Tucker great too. Kyle Tucker's been playing real well and, and you know, kind of like, I'm not going to say a breakout year because he's been good. We've all known in the division he's good, but to a lot of people they might be seeing a lot more of him because of the other guys being injure, injured, knowing how good Kyle Tucker can flat out play and swing it. Right. You know, it seems like every time we get to the end of a series, we'll talk to the other team's broadcasters or somebody within the other organization. And everybody goes, man, just forget how good Kyle Tucker is. Man, he, he stole the show that entire series. I mean, he does. He, he can beat you with his routes in the outfield. He can beat you with his arm. He's accurate. He can beat you with his speed. He leads the team with 18 stolen bases. Uh, and of course, he's got the power. He can spray the ball to all fields and uh, it doesn't hurt that the shifts aren't as drastic as they were uh, in, in the past couple of years because he's taken advantage of that, too. What is the Battle of Texas like? Is it really coming yes. around? Rangers, Astros? Tell us what the feeling's like in the Lone Star State. 
you know, it's just about three hours and 15 minutes up I-45. You know, Astros fans show up in Arlington and vice versa. And now that both teams are good for the first time in quite a while, uh, since 2016, I believe, uh, it's made it a lot of fun, especially with the new ballpark in Arlington with the roof. Uh, you can plan on going up up there and, and not suffering that type of weather uh, that you had for all those years and both places, really. But for both teams to be really good, there's a lot of smack talk. Uh, but more than anything, it's just a lot of good entertaining baseball, and that's fun. Yeah, we need hatred like Longhorns Aggies, yeah. A&M versus Texas. That's what we need. Can we get yeah. that going? Now yeah. I'd be interested. I would, too. Yeah, I love it. You know, I, I, I like it, you know, just – the fact, you know, I'm not saying that the Astros ran away with the division, but I like the fact that this division is more competitive now, that there's a few teams involved. And I hope it remains that way for the next few years because those are the games you like to call as a, as a broadcaster. Well, we, we, we can talk about all the different changes that they have made in Texas and certain players and pitching's better. And, but just uh, you got to give Bruce Bochy a lot of credit. You just you, you just have to. I mean that. I mean that's a huge change for them. One of the reasons why they're successful. You know, I asked Phil Garner a long time ago. I said, "What's the, what's the biggest thing you got to do as a manager?" And he said, "You know, there's a couple of them, and one of them is to manage the media. That way, you can take a lot of the heat and the pressure off of the players. You know, if you can accommodate the media and you can give them what they want on a daily basis, they got enough to write about, then they won't bug your players, and they can get ready." to play baseball. He said the next thing by far, I mean, you got to be able to run a good bullpen. You, you got to get guys in when you've gotten them up uh, and ready in the, in the bullpen. Uh, and you got to use the right matchups. And when you're smart about that, you know, he's a former catcher. I think that always helps, but uh, almost every player that I ever talked to that was a reliever on other teams has always noticed the way Bruce Bochy has ran a bullpen and admired that and wanted to play for him. Now, we've all seen the Angels. I mean, right now where the Angels are, they're hanging in this thing. A game over 500 has had a great weekend against the New York Yankees. Are you going to be shocked after the deadline if Shohei Otani is still in division and still playing for the Angels? I want to say this, and I was thinking about this when the Astros were in Anaheim earlier uh, just a week or so ago. It's going to take a special team to be able to have the type of roster to handle Shohei Otani. And I'm not saying anything disparaging about him. He's just a unique talent. And not every team can absorb a guy that's going to need six days of rest to pitch every sixth day because your fourth and fifth starters are going to have a brutal routine. They're going to pitch every eighth day sometimes. They're going to pitch every fifth day sometimes. So it's never going to be on a routine. So your fourth and fifth starters – Chris, basically, yeah. going to be worse than they were before you signed them. Tyler Anderson's a perfect example. Okay, he's basically the fourth or fifth starter uh, for the Angels. He's never gotten into a routine this year, and he hasn't pitched well. And I think it's because he's in the same rotation with Otani. The other thing is, think back to last year when Albert Pujols was playing first base. You think Albert Pujols needed to play first base at that stage of his career? No, but it was because all the DH spots were taken by Otani. Rightly so. He's, the, he's one of the best hitters of baseball and probably this year is. But it's going to take a special team to have a roster that can accommodate him on both ends of the baseball. Don't you agree? Oh, I, I, I had I, – what, what was the beat writer's name for the uh, Angels for the athletic I got into? Bollinger. Sam Blum. Sam Blum. And he thought I was the biggest moron in the world. And I was going like, wait a minute. 
you need like five other starters to make this thing work, and you yeah. don't have that. It's like it's it's like I understand his greatness. It's the best skill set we have ever seen in yep. the history of baseball, but. Your pitching staff, you don't have enough starters to accommodate what you need to do for him. And he thought I was nuts. You're saying exactly what I was saying to this guy from The Athletic. I totally agree with you. You've got to have the perfect roster. And I think maybe it takes an offseason to get ready for it. Well, then again, you know what we could do? We could get a bunch of guys who throw knuckleballs who could eat a bunch of innings and they wouldn't get hurt. We wouldn't have everybody be soft. How about that? See, you get it. Why doesn't everybody else get it? <laughs> I don't know. Why can't people get the? Why can't we? I, I could throw a knuckleballer three times a week if I needed. Yeah. Hey, there's a kid for the Padres that, that throws a knuckleball. He got to the big leagues. He's made one start this year. There was a caveat uh, to his performance, though. I don't know if you saw this, but he made a start, and they said, hey, but if somebody gets on base, you can't throw the knuckleball because no. Gary Sanchez was catching, and he was too nervous. The Sanchino, yeah. Can you believe that? So he's going to throw all of his his brutal stuff that that made him become a knuckleballer in the first place. That weak fastball and cutter he probably had with guys in scoring position. Talk about handcuffs. Let's end on this. If I if I brought you into an organization and I said, teach some of my guys because they're not going to get hurt. They're going to be durable. They're going to yeah. throw a ton of in- – because what's the one thing we need? We need innings. We need healthy guys who throw innings. How long do you think it would take you to teach some guys to actually really be effective with it? You know, you have to identify the, the right temperament, and I tell this to people all the time, and I've said it for 10 or 11 years when the Astros have had a few guys in the minor leagues wanted me to take a look at them uh, on the mounds in spring training and things of that nature. First, it's temperament. And if you look at any guy that had success with the knuckleball, they all had the same temperament. you got to be very laid back to throw that much of a field pitch in big situations. So temperament's number one. Uh, that might be a candidate. And number two, I think I would take probably an infielder that wasn't going to get to the big leagues who was a little shorter in stature. I think it helps to stay behind the baseball a little longer if you're shorter. Uh, you're not throwing downhill and get the rollover uh, in that case. And I think you start right there, you know, as somebody who can repeat their delivery that's pretty athletic. Uh, and then with these cameras now, I would give anything if I had the cameras to figure out what it looks like when yeah. I'm not throwing the ball correctly because it's such a mechanical pitch. Oh, I didn't think about that. These high-speed cameras, you would see the ball Dude. in slow motion. See where your wrist is, see where your fingers are, all that stuff would have been huge. I was in the hotel rooms looking in the mirror all the time trying to figure stuff out. Oh, my God. I mean, a guy that you're talking about, like Tim Wakefield. I mean, he was a guy in Pittsburgh wasn't going to be able to hit. Next thing you know, Tim Wakefield had an unbelievable career and made a lot of money. Yep, he sure did. You know, and I think there's going to be a comeback. I think, you know, a couple of years ago, maybe four years ago, Bob Melvin actually threw me a baseball in the A's dugout before uh, the ball game. He said, do you think you can throw a knuckleball with this ball? And I, I grabbed it, and it was like a cue ball. It was so hard. And I said, you know what? I can't even get my fingernails close to digging into this baseball. So my answer was no, obviously. But a couple of years later, Major League Baseball, they used their spectrum to, to un, you know, untighten the baseball, so to speak, and, and make it a little softer. So where I think you could throw the knuckleball again. I think they need a couple of knuckleballers. I think it would serve a great niche on a, on a roster for the things that you just said. You can eat up innings, not only out of the bullpen, perhaps, but in the starting rotation, you get a guy who can go seven innings pretty regularly. Uh, that's going to be a big difference for your team. Always great having you on, buddy. We appreciate it, and we'll be back at the ballpark. We'll come see you tomorrow on the Press Box.
All right, Johnny. Take care, buddy. Uh, he's one of the best. Play-by-play, former A, knuckleballer, Steve Sparks for the Houston Astros. Once traded to the Oakland Athletics, you know, one of the guys that said, has said routinely how much he loves playing at the Coliseum, loved playing for the A's, against the A's, and uh, he's always so kind to come on with us. And, yeah, I mean, you talk about opener. I mean, a knuckleballer, because that's the thing. The knuckleballer gets hurt if you're worried about multiple times seeing it. You want to talk about the guy that could be the opener that could get you probably through the lineup one time. That's probably three innings, if not two, depending how the first inning goes. I mean, how about that? He could go out there three times a week, and the knuckleball screws everybody up, right? It screws up everybody's timing. You know, we have so many guys that want to lift their leg and bring it back, and their timing mechanisms, and now you got the butterfly coming in. I mean, and especially in a world where we're so terrified of pitching guys, innings, Tommy John, all that, a knuckleballer who you could say, he's going to be out there for seven, eight innings guaranteed. We don't have to worry about his pitch count. God, that'd be a blessing. Yeah, the guy that uh, Sparks was mentioning is Matt Waldron is the guy for the Padres. Uh, how many hits has he given up this year with this knuckleball? Off the knuckleball? Yeah. I'm going to say one. Now, the answer is zero. So there you go. Now, people are hitting, now hitters are hitting a slider at a 400 clip, but. Is that baseball savant? <laughs> yeah. I love this website. I know. It's, it's, it's go, go look at Medina. Medina's slider gets hit. Medina's curveball doesn't get hit. Can we start throwing the curveball more? Uh, he started doing it the other day. I mean, that's been my whole thing. Can Medina start throwing the 12 6 hard curveball, fastball up, curveball down? We're going to think. Think about as a hitter, right? All right, I'm standing up there as a hitter. Can I be a hitter here for a second? I'm standing up there as a hitter. Everything's going to be here or down here. It's vertical. We're playing the vertical game. We're not playing horizontal. We're not doing your sweeper away from me going horizontal. We're going up, down, baby. My eye level is constantly going up, down. Fastball up, which I cannot launch. And it's hard to catch up to when he's throwing 97 to 100 and then that big curveball dropping at the bottom of the zone. That is a tough – how many times do we have to say, have you heard of Sandy Koufax, have you heard of Nolan Ryan, uh, Barry Zito, Burt Blylevin, you want to go uh, – Rich Hill has a good curveball. Rich Hill, the big lefty, but we're obviously talking about a right-hander here. Uh, Dwight Gooden, these guys had a power fastball with the big curveball. It's a great combination. I'm not saying you don't throw the slider, but the problem is – our R&D people, they are so in love with the slider, and they want you to throw it over and over and over and over again, and they forget. Now, I'm not saying it's our team. I'm just saying this is general. – I'm generalizing here through all of baseball. But it's like, man, you've got this gift from God. It's a fastball and a big curveball. That's a gift. Utilize it. Yeah, P, uh, hitters are hitting 255 against Medina's slider. Now, it's his best strikeout pitch, according to Baseball Savant, with strikeout numbers. But his curveball, uh, hitters only hit 161. It's his best strikeout pitch because he's thrown it more than anything else. Uh, besides his four-seam. Those are four-seam the most. Right? Yeah. How much has he thrown his slider? Uh, if those are slider, 21% of the time. And I would I, – and does it have 0-2? What he throws 0-2 the most? Uh, no. I mean, not on here. I think you need to go a little I, more advanced. I would guarantee – with two, let's say 0 2, 1 2, in strikeout counts. Oh, wait, actually, I can't. 2 2. He throws a slider the most in 0 2 counts. 
Did I need to go to baseball savant for for you to tell me that? No, they're hitting 200 on the slider. No, two. Do counts. I get a little credit on that? It's a good call. Yeah, I'm just yeah. more impressed. You than know I... why? Because I'm watching it and I'm all the time going, "My God, his sliders! It's, it's it's it can be good. It's like anything else. Sometimes guys' sliders are good. Sometimes they're a little flat, and then they become real hittable. What's the batting average? I'll say I, I'm gonna say they're hitting over 270 against a slider. Over uh, overall? Yeah. Uh, overall. Let me go back to. And it's well under 200 against the curveball. Yeah, they're hitting 255 against slider, 161 against the curve. All right, curve. It's 250. I know at one point it was 300. Yeah. But he's been better the last five outings. His real bad outings, they were they were crushing. I, was, I, I haven't looked at it in a long time, but they were hitting a slider at over a 300 clip. Now, when he has a 1-2 count on a hitter, he throws his curveball thir- 32% of the time. That's second highest behind only his four seam. Drop it in there. With nine strikeouts. Drop it in there. So there's his, that's his strikeout pitch. In a one-two count, let me preference with that. It buckles guys. It absolutely buckles guys. Man, we haven't even had a break yet, have we? No. Spirited show. Tomorrow, a lot of Hall of Fame. I already already put together the stuff you asked. I put together my list of guys that should be in Hall of Fame. I excluded steroid guys. Those are obvious because we both agree that Bonds and Sosa and McGuire, they all should be in the Hall of Fame. Here is, here is a legitimate question, because we're going to have Jay Jaffe on, who uh, fan graphs, used to be Sports Illustrated. He's got his Jaws ratings for the Hall of Fame. He's probably done the most for certain players getting into the Hall of Fame, because he's really highlighted, you know, metrics and numbers and, you know, guys, what they're worth. And he's kept conversations alive, probably mm-hmm. more than anything else. He's one of the Hall of Fame gurus, and of course, he's one of the top writers for Fangraphs. He's coming up next. These are the type of people we bring you here on Ace Cast Live. I just wonder. We are so into numbers. We always have been. We're a numbers sport. I get it. Numbers used to be hits, home runs, wins, strikeouts. Now we like to combine numbers. And we have things like war. Okay. But there also is significance of your Hall of Fame with history. Players that are historic. And we see that with all Hall of Fames. Whether we're talking about the Baseball Hall of Fame or the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts, it's a little different because it's all basketball. It's not NBA Hall of Fame. It's all of basketball. So it's international, women's basketball, men's basketball, international, amateur. You got high school coaches. I mean, I get, And that's great. I think they do a, a tremendous job. I know the Hockey Hall of Fame is in Canada. I have no idea where it is, though. I thought it was Toronto. It is in Canada, though. I can guarantee Toronto. it. All right. It's in Toronto, Canada. Great city. Um, we're kind of missing out a little bit. And I get this whole – and Jay Jaffe's going to tell you, because we've taped the interview we're going to play here in moments, as he's, he's making his way to Cooperstown right now, as they're doing such a good job giving guys opportunities to get in the Hall of Fame because we're really looking at numbers that matter. I think we're having a hard time also remembering historic people, historic events, historic things matter too. And there's certain players 
that for some reason their wars aren't going to be as high, but they're historic players. And, you know, recently Bob Costas has come out with a list. People are making – you've made a list. People are making a list. Brian Kenny, our buddy from MLB Now, they're going to – MLB Now will be at the Hall of Fame inside the plaque room. I'll be watching that uh, on the way up to Oakland tomorrow. I can guarantee you that. Um, Love it. When they do that show from the plaque room, the plaque room is so historic. If you've ever been there, it's up. And they get to do a show from there. It's so cool. Josh Raj is the uh, one of our friends of the program. But I'm president. Gonna, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a guy. I'm gonna give you a former A. A guy that you know when you look at his career, did he win the MVP? Yeah. Was he an All Star? Yeah. Was he a multi World Series champion? Yeah. Did he have really good numbers? Yeah. Was he a historic player? Yeah. Dave Parker, the Cobra. I had, Dave Parker's not a Hall of Famer. Dave Parker doesn't have significance in the history of the game. He's, and I'm not taking anything away from Scott Rowland. Scott Rowland had a terrific career. He was a fantastic, big defensive third baseman, hit for power. I get why he's, I get why he's in. But I take a guy like Dave Parker, a guy that we bring on this show. We've had Dave Parker on the show. Correct. A uh, guy that we've had on multiple times, Steve Garvey. Steve Garvey was a monster in the postseason. Scott Rowland was a dud in the postseason. I went and looked up the numbers. And I went, okay, you know, Garvey, I mean, Garvey, the reason why Garvey's war isn't because he didn't have a ton of bombs. Steve Garvey had a 200 hits every, I mean, 200 hits for many, many years. Played every day. Was a star in 11 postseasons. Think about this. That's not wild card. This is Steve Garvey starring for the Los Angeles Dodgers for the majority of it. Steve Garvey in 11 postseason series, 11, where twice was named the NLCS MVP. Steve Garvey's an MVP of the league, a World Series champion, ton of All-Star games, gold gloves. Two-time All-Star game MVP. Two-time. I mean... You talk about the history of the game. Steve Garvey hit 338 in 11 postseason series with a nine something OPS. Nine ten. Nine ten. Some of them was over a thousand. Garvey was a monster in the postseason, and it wasn't wild cards, folks. That was NLCSs and World Series. Roland, 222. Roland was a dud in the postseason. He played nine postseason, and I'm not trying to take away from Roland. I'm just saying another guy that people are bringing up. And you think about his career, I don't really remember him with the Cardinals. I remember more with the Mets, but he was pretty significant. He's an MVP. He's one of the best defensive first basemen of all time. Keith Hernandez was a great player. I remember him as a Seinfeld character, but that's okay. All right, the great mustache in Seinfeld. (laughs) But, yeah, he was – you know what? You just proved my point. Scott Rowland was never going to be on Seinfeld. That's a fact. That's our next next top ten, by the way. Top ten characters appear on sitcoms and TV shows. I mean, Garvey was on TV shows. You're talking about players who were celebrity players. They were star players. Stars. Like, they're a part of the history of the game. When you think of the 70s and the 80s, these guys' names come up. They were significant. You know, I get the Don Mattingly and the numbers because of the bad back, but Don Mattingly was significant in our game in the 80s. These are star players. And you're try- you're- we have people doing everything they can to get non-star players into the Hall of Fame and doing everything they can to keep star players out. 
No. I'm, I'm saying, isn't there a fi- isn't there a way we can have both? There is, and I'm with you because I feel like we're, there's a lot of guys we're, we're trying to get in. There's a lot of guys we're missing out on. There's a couple guys that I came up with. One of them is hey, very- if you're fighting for Bobby Abreu, if I can tell you what – if I can give you what what Steve Garvey was in the postseason as a star, Steve Garvey was a star player, and I hate the Dodgers, but he's a star player. You're going to make a case for Bobby Abreu? Get the hell out of here. Stop it. Yeah, you play every day, you're pretty good, you're going to put up numbers. Does that make you a Hall of Famer? That's why I think there's a, there's a very interesting name that Jay Jaffe brought up earlier that I never. I haven't even thought about thought about him sniffing the Hall of Fame. And Jay Jaffe says he's now on, appeared on his radar. Don't give it away. Oh, former A. Yeah, former A. Former A. Yeah, I was kind of like, ooh. Looked at his wars. Wars around thirty eight right now. But he started. But he's he won't give away his age. I mean, war is just an accumulation of a ton of numbers that no one even. Know. Yeah. And I, I agree, war is important. I'm not saying it's not. I like going by war, but war. War is war is you know, it's just a bunch of it's like a it's a you know what a bouillabaisse is? Uh, yes. It's a soup. Yeah. It's just like throwing a bunch of crap in a soup and that that's what you. Oh, the soup tastes good. That's what war is. It's like you go into your fridge. And, war is like you go into your fridge and you figure out what you got. What can I what can I put in the old skillet with some olive oil and figure out a meal? I got some onion, I got some bell pepper, I got some chicken, I got some sausage, I got... Okay, so I, ha- I have to do a little more re- digging to see what his this guy's War 7 is. That's what they use for your seven-year peak. I'll do it when, we're, when, we're, when we play J.J. Problem is, the guy we're talking about is is in his 30s. Yeah, early 30s, but still. I mean, how much war are you going to get out of him from 30 to 40? Yeah, true. But he's in great shape. Yeah. Yes, a former A, which I don't even know why we're doing that because it's going to break people's heart, but a former A, he thinks, can actually get on the list. It's not going to be my guy, Josh Donaldson. By the way, Donaldson could be done for the year. Not having a good year anyway. Way. Every hit's a home run. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? This is your fault. What did I say I wanted to start the show with? uh, Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We should all be celebrating this. Oh, my God. Look. I got the standings. Look who's in last place in the AL East. Your Take Yankees. a picture. Your oh, Yankees. my God. It is so good. <laughs> Isn't this great? They spend more money on analytics and players and the Yankees. They're in last place. Ah, oh, Get my guy Chris Rose on it. Chris Rose, you know how much we love Chris Rose. He's been on this program a long time. Chris Rose, who does all the stuff with John Boy, Yankee guys. You know, everybody talk. No disrespect. Have we ever had a John Boy guy on? No, I've been trying to get one of the two guys on. But let's face it. They've ridden the coattails of the Yankees. Fair. Right? John well, they're Boy, Yankee fans. John Boy's not John Boy if they're doing this in Kansas City. Probably not. No. So, Chris Rose threw out a, threw out a tweet to them about, hey, how's it feel now? Because you know they've probably ridden him over time about Cleveland. He's a big, you know, Indians now Guardians fan, Chris Rose. It's like, ah, hey, Yankee fan, how's it feel? How's it feel to be in last place? Two and eight in your last ten games. You lost four in a row. You're in last place by nine games. Hey, how'd Carlos Rodon do yesterday? Blew a kiss to the fans. That's a given of eight runs. Oh, boy. That's a, 
That turned out to be a disaster. Remember contract. the Yankees? They have this huge analytics department, and they're looking for certain players, guys that throw hard and hit the ball the hardest. They're looking for the robo perfect player. How's it working out? Eh, not great. I mean, they're smarter than everybody else. They spend more money on analytics than anybody else by a long shot. <clears throat> Sean Casey, the manager next year. Oh, Sean Casey's the new hitting coach. He's great on MLB Network. Let's make him the hitting coach. How's everything going? Huh? How is it the Bronx? Remember at the All-Star game, A-Rod and Jeter, hey, how the Yankees get better? How's that working out? Oh, they're going to get Soto. That's what I keep hearing. There was a hypothetical. Come on, fans. You've got to be loving this as much as me. The Yankees being in last place, this is like a gift. Before we get to J.J. Oh, my God. If the Yankees finish in last place. I, because you know, the last two times we've been at the winter meetings, they've put us next to the Yes Network people. And John Boy. And John Boy. So we got to sit there and listen to these Yankee guys, and they're looking at us, because you know the Yankees look at us, let's face it. They look at us like, oh, you're the cute little thing with the, oh, the Sagecast thing. It's a great idea. It's cute. All right. I can't wait. If the Yankees stay in last place, I will hammer the S-bomb out of them at the, at the winter <laughs> meetings. Oh, I will be down. Oh, my God. I'll be like, hey, don't you spend more money and have more analytics people than anybody else? What's up? I will be, I will get, I will be down. How's our pot? Is our pot? You're really, you're really worried about our possum. Maybe you should be worried about those analytics guys not getting you good players. You're so worried about the possum cage. Maybe you shouldn't be so worried about our possum cage and worry more about your dog crap team. Yeah. Uh, what's crazy is you look at the two teams that are tied for first. In that division, Orioles and Rays, who uh, don't spend money. Everyone said, oh, hey, Orioles, they can't compete. They didn't spend oh, money in the offseason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to spend all that money. Look at the Padres. <laughs> how, oh, they, their owner wants to win. How's, how's, their owner's committed. How's Ray Jensen's Mets doing? Oh, uh, let's see. Padres, who have guaranteed almost a billion dollars in salary. They're uh, 46 and 51. I did read an article today. They could get hot and come back in the division. Oh, they're going to get hot now. How many, oh, ga- okay. how many games behind are there? Ten games back of the Dodgers. Okay. Well, they were said they were going to get hot in May. Then they could get hot in June. And then now it's July 20th? Yeah. yeah. July 20th. But, how, hey, how, how are my Mets? Oh, my Mets. My Mets are 45 and 51. They're how many games back? 17 and a half. Highest payroll in the history of baseball. Their, their owner wants to win. He's committed. See, he's like the fans. Yeah, he's like the fans. If fans ran baseball teams, look what you get. You're 45 and 51. Yeah, not great. I, I tell you, the whole, money, the whole money thing is so overblown, it's unbelievable. Now, I wish we'd spend more money, yes, but... Living and dying. Well, the top four payrolls in baseball are out of the playoffs right now. Yankees, Mets, Padres, and what are they, Phillies. The Phillies? They, they, are they oh, fourth or fifth? Did you see what Bryce Harper did yesterday, by the way? He didn't lived, even swing. He stood in the box. <laughs> didn't swing yeah. the bat once. <laughs> There's your 13-year player. Apparently, Ooh, apparently, Philly. He's Philly. He's all about Philly. Apparently, Rob Thompson asked him, asked him, asked him after the game why he didn't swing, and he said, "Well, the first time he faced Mil- uh, Hobie Milner, he didn't get a good read on him. Clearly, still didn't get a good read on him. You swing the bat once, <laughs> right? Uh, that's, I think that's who was was pitching. Do you want to take a break or just yeah? Go let's, to Jaffe let's, now? let's do a couple minute break. And we'll all right, coming up next, Jay Jaffe will be talking Hall of Fame, and I got a question for him. I don't think a lot of people are thinking about this." Shohei Otani is the American League MVP, except what? What do you do if he gets traded to the National League? 
It's a good question. I mean, if I mean, obviously, I guess you could still vote him American League MVP. But if they didn't, if you won the American League MVP this year, wouldn't you feel like, uh, yeah, I really don't deserve this? Yeah, true. And who would it be in the American League if it's not him? I'd have to look at the numbers. Uh, I mean, Jordan would have been easily the next, but he's been hurt. Why am I drawing a blank on the guy I was thinking the of? The fact that you can't think of somebody right now tells you, I mean, let's go to the best team. Are you going to go Yandy Diaz? He's having a good year. I'm just I'm just trying to think, guys, on the best teams. All right, who? Gunnar Henderson has been red hot. Yeah, uh, no. All right, so Yandy. He would be in the running. Uh, Texas, uh, not Marcus. No, the other guys have been very good. I don't know if it's any Seager, really... but he's been hurt. Seager's yeah. been on yeah. fire. I don't know if anyone's, no one's really standing out. I mean, all those guys, all their guys are just having, Seager's really, having really, a really good year. They're all having consistent years. Um, I, I would have to go with Diaz, maybe. One of my favorite names is Randy Rosarena. Also having a good year. I picked one in the home run Dolas derby. Garcia. But does he still lead the league in RBIs? I'm just trying to think of guys on teams that are winning teams. Let's see, AL MVP. See if they, uh, see if they have. I mean, I'm not taking anyone on Minnesota. Stop it or Cleveland. I just want. I'm just gonna look at Arkell and see if anyone has anyone mentioned. Uh, see, Luis Robert, Jonah, Hunt. Oh, Kyle Tucker. No, I'm not. Him. Lu- Luis Robert, you call him Robert, yeah. uh, is on a garbage team, and there's no way. Corey Seager's hitting 348. Told you, Seager's D. He's well. He hasn't played in every game, but but he's, he's having batting. an unbelievable yeah, yeah. year. And yeah. you know who called that? Himbo called that. Well, because of the shift. All right, coming up next, we're talking Hall of Fame right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend, and it is summertime. You want to look your best, and I can't tell you how excited I am. Commander Cody, we've got our new shipment from Link Soul, all the summer gear. So whether you're playing golf or you're going out for dinner, you're hanging out with your buddies, or you're going to the beach, go see our friends at LinkSoul.com. And right now they have an offer where you can get 20% off. Go to LinkSoul.com. Remember in the big leagues, look good. Play good. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Weekend this weekend up in Cooperstown, New York. Always one of the best sports weekends that there is. Jay Chaffee from Fangraphs joins us. He is going to be there in Cooperstown. And I know every, I mean, it used to be the last uh, weekend of July, but we're going to do it this weekend. And I know you got to be pumped. It's always so special to see the current guys going in and to always run into all the old Hall of Famers. Yeah, I, you know, this is this is a especially gratifying year because Scott Rowland is a guy who, you know, really uh, uh, was almost a forgotten man when he debuted on the ballot uh, in, in 2017. And, uh, you know, my jaw system showed him as uh, – uh, one of the 10 or 12 best third basemen of all time. And eventually, um, you know, that helped uh, turn some voters towards him. And so uh, to see him going in and getting his due, um, you know, as one of the great third basemen of all time is is especially gratifying. Yeah, third base means a lot to me. I know we've never talked about this, but my grandfather was Bob Elliott. He was the first third baseman oh. ever to be the MVP in baseball, 1947, had a great career, most RBIs awesome. in the 40s. Yeah, he was one of the first Wheaties guys. But, you know, you go way back when, 
you take a guy like my grandfather who had a great career, all the all-star games, hit two home runs off Bob Feller in the World Series, but then you think like Joe DiMaggio wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer, Yogi Berra. I mean, the, the process of what it used to be compared to now, and that's why why I bring up my grandfather, is been, there's been so many great third basemen, and we can talk about Sal Bando with the Oakland Athletics. It's really an unrepresented position in, in baseball history, especially with the Baseball Hall of Fame. Why do you think that is? Yeah, you know, this is actually uh, the foundation of the Cooperstown case book, the book that I wrote in 2017. Um, the uh, the chapter that got me the deal was about uh, the trouble with the, that voters have had in electing third basemen. Um, I think it really comes down to not being able, you know, voters have had a hard time weighing the balance between offense and defense. I mean, you know, at the, the beginning of the 20th century, third base was particularly important because uh, there was so much more bunting. Uh, and over time, I think the level of defensive responsibilities between third base and second base kind of flipped. Second base was the more offense, uh, uh, the higher bar for offense than third base was, and it kind of flipped. So voters have sort of had a hard time reckoning with um, you know, these these outstanding defenders, some of whom could have played shortstop, but maybe were too big physically, um, often had power, but didn't hit for batting average. Um, Sal Bando is a great example of, of, of that. I, I wrote a tribute to him when he passed away um, earlier this year. Uh, it's an underrepresented position in the hall. It took until the late 40s uh, for the BBWAA to elect its first one. Uh, it took a long time to recognize guys like Ron Santo, um, you know, and, and, and there are some others that like Dick Allen and, and Ken Boyer uh, and Bando who are on the outside. And, and it's just, I think they, you know, people un, you know, underestimate how much defensive value these guys had and how much offensive value they had when they were hitting a lot of home runs, but maybe not putting up big batting averages. You know, the thing about Scott Rowland, now, obviously, when you're a big guy and you hit home runs and you got extra base hits, you're not surprised. I think the thing for me, just watching him, not looking at any defensive numbers, but just watching him was how well he moved at third base for a guy his size. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, when I think of Scott Rowland, I think of him horizontal. You know, I think of just his lateral ability to, to stop ball, you know, hard hit balls coming at him. Uh, he was, uh, he was so good at that. And, you know, at, uh, uh, six foot four, built like a tight end. He was yeah. so big, you know. He could just he could he could get to so many balls and and uh, um, you know did it with with uh, I think you know a, a fair amount of grace for a guy his size and and uh, um, you know was just you know people people like I'm always mystified when people said was he really that good a defender? Man, you missed the show, jeez, you know, because he could he was really outstanding there. And, and it's so odd to me. You know, because Fred McGriff basically is his Toronto days or like I'm in high school, then I'm in college. And then I get into covering baseball as he's later in his career. And everybody now is like, oh, yeah, it's a no brainer. Fred McGriff is a Hall of Famer. You're like, wait a minute. When he was on the ballot, I don't think he even got close to 40 percent of the votes. It's funny how when he was on the ballot, he didn't even sniff it. Now that he's going in, everybody's like, of course he is. Look at compare him to when Bonds wasn't on PEDs. It's like we now all accept that, of course, Fred McGriff was a Hall of Famer. But when he was on the ballot, though, he never even had a shot. 
Yeah, you know, I think McGriff had had a couple of, of things working against him. I mean, he did not, you know, when he led the league in homers twice, he had 35 and 36 home runs. And, and shortly afterwards, uh, you know, the, the juice ball and the juice players started putting up uh, astronomical totals, and he was kind of left in the dust. Um, you know, and, and he missed out on, on uh, getting to 500 home runs uh, by just seven because – uh, you know, in part because of the 1994 players' strike, he was still, um, you know, near his peak. Then he hit 34 homers in 113 games that year. So it's not hard to imagine that he could have uh, uh, put himself over the line just by that. Um, but you know, the thing about McGriff is, is, is he was a little one-dimensional. He did not. He was not a huge on-base guy. He did not have a massive slugging percentage. Uh, did not have much defensive or base running value. So he doesn't fare all that well in, in, you know, in wins above replacement or my jaws system. And, and, you know, as voters kind of started to look to that, to, to triage these ballots that were just absolutely stacked, um, you know, backlogged by the PED guys on whom there was no consensus on, on, on how to handle them. Um, you know, McGriff was just kind of a, a forgotten man, but I had very little doubt he would wind up uh, elected via this route, via an era committee, because, um, you know, I think the uh, the empathy that that people have for uh, for his plight and the respect that he that he got uh, from his from his fellow players, it seemed like he was a natural for for this kind of uh, uh, route to Cooperstown. Well, I've been able to do it one time. I grew up a huge George Brett fan. Took the weekend off, and also a big Nolan Ryan fan. I was there. Oh, that was a great one. Yeah, ninety Robin Yao, and then of course being out here at the time, I was working for the San Francisco Giants flagship station, and Orlando Cepeda was going in. So I went back and covered that ninety nine. I try and tell people, it's such a special weekend, and the fact that when when you say like you could like see the Hall of Famers, you know, the night before they all come in and they do the dinner, I tell the story. I literally turned a corner and I ran into the great Tom Seaver. Like Tom Seaver and I collided. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, Tom Seaver. I mean, they are everywhere. It's uh, Cooperstown is, I, I call it the little, the little mini Lake Tahoe. Uh, you got the great Lake with the, with the, the inn right there, the golf course, and then all the bed and breakfasts, just the little one downtown strip and all the restaurants. I mean, the hall of famers are everywhere walking down the street. Uh, it, it's such a special weekend. I do think if you're a baseball fan, to just get there one time, no matter what time of the year. But if you can ever go for an induction ceremony, it's free to the public. It, it really is a special, special moment every year. Yeah, I, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to uh, a couple times to go to the uh, the cocktail party in the Platt Gallery, which is uh, oh, wow. uh, an invitation only event. It's like seeing your baseball cards come to life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you got to like last time last year I, there was a table where. Uh, Rod Carew and George Brett and uh, um, uh, I'm forgetting who the other player was are sitting there and they're probably talking hitting and, and maybe it's Fergie Jenkins. I don't know. It's just like, holy Toledo. This is so cool. Um, you know, I'm, it's the one time that I just get totally starstruck. I like, I'm, I, I'm really not somebody who goes up and starts, you know, picking these guys brains or, or, or even saying hi, but uh, uh, I am just, I'm just in awe that these are the players that I grew up and they gave me my love of baseball, um, you know, and, and to see, you know, there's a few of them obviously that I've, that I've had the chance to, to, uh, uh, to make the case for uh, like Burt Blylevin and, and, and some others there, Mike Messina. And, and that's always cool too. So yeah, um, it, it's, 
it's amazing. You could just walk down the street and see a Hall of Famer, you know, if not once every 15 minutes, then at least once an hour. Yeah, it, it is. So that it's, I mean, it's not easy to get to, uh, you know, a lot of people, we flew into Albany, the capital of New York, and then you drive down, it's about 45 minutes, but uh, it, it it is such a, if you're a baseball fan, you got to get there at least once in your lifetime. It is worth the travels. It, it is worth the time. You know, when I think about some historical players, and we were just kind of looking at some numbers. You know, I grew up in Southern California watching a lot of Steve Garvey. I know what kind of career Garvey had. Garvey was a winner, was a terrific career. We brought him on the program here many times. I look at his postseason numbers. He was an absolute monster in the postseason. I know people in New York and St. Louis like to bring up Keith Hernandez, another guy affiliated with the A's who had a great career as an MVP, just like Hernandez and Garvey. Uh, was the great Dave Parker, who won multiple championships, including the A's in 1989. A lot of people, his days, whether it's in Pittsburgh or Cincinnati. When you look at some of these guys and what they have meant to the history of baseball, I may maybe the war doesn't stand up, but you look at their significance in the game. Do you make a case? Do you want to make a case for guys like this? Because I know we get asked about this all the time. Yeah, you know, look. I wish I could make a stronger case for all for all those guys. I think Hernandez is the one for whom I can make the strongest case based on my system. I focus on making the case for the guys for whom my numbers uh, are, you know, are uh, back the case. Um, I'll leave uh, the case for part. You know, I, when 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 a Parker or a Garvey is on the ballot, you know, I'll be frank with you; those guys don't measure up as well uh, in this. And the problem, it's not that I want to vote against them it's that there are you know they're up against better candidates whom i you know who might rather uh throw my support behind so um it's just a reality i think one that comes to mind though that i that i kind of have flipped on was dale murphy um his jaws isn't great um but dale murphy had a really great seven-year peak uh, yeah. which is part of the part of my system and you got those yeah. two mvp awards and I'm sitting here a few years ago when Harold Baines got elected, and I'm like, damn it, you know, if Harold Baines is getting in, what are we arguing about Dale Murphy for? Because Dale Murphy was 10 times the player as Harold Baines, and he was legitimately, you know, the best player in the game for, you know, you could make the case that he was the best player in the game for about half a decade at least, playing a premium position, um, helping to turn around a franchise, and and you know, that's the kind of player I think, you know, where the numbers are just a little short. I think I'm a little bit more motivated to to uh, to focus on, um, you know, there was he was on that ballot uh, alongside uh, uh, Fred McGriff. And, and I was, you know, I was I was kind of hoping, you know, it's like I'm not sure I could really justify voting for him. But if he got in, boy, I'll I'll be I'll be happy just the same. And uh, because I also think that, you know, on a ballot where there's a lot of character questions, and a lot of, you know, a lot of people weren't happy with with, uh, um, you know, with some of the guys on the ballot. Um, Dale Murphy was a pretty upstanding, uh, you know, role model for the game and somebody who I think in his post-career life has, has continued in, in that capacity. And, and uh, um, so he's one I'd love to see recognized. Yeah, before we had the big three with Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, Chipper Jones, Bobby Cox, the old Superstation when I was a kid. I remember we had, Dale, mm-hmm. we, had, we had Dale Murphy on the show. And I said, Dale, I grew up in San Diego. 
But I loved watching you play because I could watch you on TBS. I mean, it was a big deal. The Braves, they were terrible, but Dale Murphy was the man back in the day. I I'm glad you brought him up. Uh, before we let you go, talking about some current players, uh, when you look at current players right now in your system, I'm sure like a Mike Trout is a no-brainer. Maybe a Mookie Betts is a no-brainer. How are some of the current players doing? Yeah, Mookie Betts is one that stands out as really he's just he's he's already done just all the major things you need to do and and, and already is is uh, uh, well on his way here. Um, you know, uh, Jose Ramirez is one that that that, that I look at. Uh, Nolan Arenado, Manny Machado, uh, Paul Goldschmidt, uh, Joey Votto, obviously. Um, one that surprised me that has some Oakland connections is really kind of come on strong in the last few years and might be a really good late career uh, guy uh, along the lines of another uh, uh, player who passed through the Rangers is Marcus Semien. Yeah. Um, really has had wow. you know, his, his durability over the last five years um, and his blossoming into a, into a, you know, a, a stronger offensive force has really uh, put him on my radar for the first time this year. And I, I wrote about him. Um, who else? Shohei Otani. I mean, if we can't, if the Hall of Fame can't find room for Shohei Otani, what the, what are we doing here? You know? Well, how does your system, like, let's say, I mean, we have no, I think he plays a long time, at least offensively. It's still, it's still mind boggling to go back and look at those scouting reports people had of him coming out of Japan where they said, oh yeah, he's a really good pitcher, but I don't think he can hit at this level. I have no idea what those scouts were looking at, but let's just say he doesn't have this long career, no matter what. How, how how will your Jaws system evaluate him? I mean, it's a it's he's the most unique guy we've ever seen. Yeah, you know, I, I it took me a while to sort of figure figure it out a little bit, but there's actually a precedent with John Montgomery Ward from from the 19th century. It's basically you know you look at you look at what Otani has done over the last three years, and those are essentially they're going to be like you know 27 to 30 WAR over those three seasons. I mean, that's a huge start. I, I've, I'm on record as saying, and I, will, and, and I think if he gets to 10 years and is still, you know, has been pitch, has been doing double duty most of this time, which I think already more or less describes, you know, his career to date. He had one year where he couldn't pitch, yeah. um, and that was kind of an injury-related disaster. Anyway, um, he'll have my vote, you know, because I think that I think that the offensive numbers will be special. The pitching numbers have already been special. We've never seen this. We've never seen anybody uh, in our lifetime. Uh, or really since the start of the, the 20th century, sustained this kind of regular play. There was a 19th century guy, Ward, that Ward that I just mentioned, but the, Babe Ruth wasn't doing this. Babe Ruth was kind of dabbling as a pitcher or dabbling as a hitter. And then, you know, uh, midway midway through the, the, the 1919 season, it was suddenly like, all right, he's a hitter now. Um, and, and that's it. And he barely started after that. So it's not quite the, the analog, but Otani is just – Boy, are we, we're, we're in danger of taking for granted how special this is. Yeah, speaking of voting, you want to talk about getting real interesting. I don't think he gets traded, but let's just say he does, and let's say he gets traded to a National League team. I mean, no-brainer. I mean, he should get all the votes for MVP of American League, but what happens if he gets traded to the National League? Boy, I, I, had, you know, I hadn't even thought of that. It's I, crazy, right? I know that. Yeah, no, and I, I look, I, and I know that that uh, uh, you know two of the teams that can probably that, that probably have the capital and the motivation to go get them are the Dodgers and the Giants, and and I hadn't even really considered the MVP angle on that, um, 
but you're right. That's going to look really weird. Um, <laughs> if the if the if the American League MVP plays two thirds of a season in, 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 you know, in, in the AL and one third in the NL, that's that's going to be pretty strange. Well, I'll tell you what, your work is second to none. And for all of us who truly appreciate the Hall of Fame and love of the Hall of Fame, what it means to our game, uh, the fact that you keep it alive year round and the talk about it and judging guys and keeping the conversation going, we always love it. So thank you so much for your time. I know you're busy, but enjoy Cooperstown. I know it's a special weekend for you. It's a special weekend for all of us in baseball. Enjoy yourself, and we'll talk to you later in the season. All right. Thanks so much. Great to talk to you guys. It's summertime, and I can guarantee you, you probably need to redo your wardrobe. You want to look good, and you want to feel comfortable. This is Chris Townsend, and you got to go check out Well, now joining us here on Link Soul. They've got all the finest fabrics. You're going to love the shirts, the polos, the shorts, you name it. Redo your look for summertime. Go to LinkSoul.com right now, and you can get an offer for 20% off. Remember, in the big leagues, to play good, you got to look good. Ace Cast Live continues from the studio. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, now joining us here on Ace Cast Live, it will be my partner today on A's pre and post game live here, NBC Sports California. Of course, you know him as a former A, an all star, a kid from Oakland, a great career, and now just a guy making money. Like, it's like baseball was. Baseball is just fun. He's now becoming this just brilliant businessman. The great Bip Roberts is with us here on Ace Cast Live. <laughs> hey. I, I mean, I'm just I'm just happy we got you here. We didn't have to go through your agent, your people, your your publicist. I'm just thankful you're here. Tony, I'm my people. <laughs> you don't have to go through anybody to get to me. You already know that. Text me, call me, whatever it may be. Send a dove my way. And as long as there's a text on the on the, the leg of the dub, I'll get it. You know, you're a great example of former players. Well, they got to figure out something to do with the rest of their life, right? You know, and so many guys, they're lost after their careers. Not you. I mean, preacher, businessman. You're more busy now <laughs> than you were a player. He said preacher. <laughs> you You know, my faith has really been strengthened the last five years. And so. I probably would be more of an evangelist than a preacher, but you know how I am with you. I try to get you to understand some things, but you got a tough, you're a tough nut. I'm going to have to keep working on you. Um, but- I got issues. <laughs> I think everybody watches the show. No, it knows. I, I have issues. You might not be able to, I might be a lost cause. I don't think so. man. I thought I was a lost cause. <laughs> but you've been busy these days. Yeah. Yeah. I was coming from a meeting with the, the district attorneys out there in Alameda, uh, Oakland and, we're part of a coalition that's helping those who are, are coming out of prison, uh, formerly incarcerated citizens who are coming into the community uh, looking for a way, uh, looking for a hand up, not a handout. So we're trying to help them get back on that track so that they don't recidivate, go back, uh, continue to just do the same things they used to do. Once they get out, we want to find a way to give them trades, uh, help them get the medical they need, help them get the, the spiritual they need, help them get the physical that they need. Um, but just kind of guide them as mentors. Sometimes we have to do housing. Sometimes we have to do mentorship. And we started doing that mentorship inside the walls and outside the walls. And we got a great coalition led by DA uh, Raymond Landry out there and, and Pamela Price, who is the Madam DA. So they put us all in the program. And it's a lot of guys out there who are in this coalition trying to give back. 
you know, I think about your time as a coach, as a mentor to a lot of young boys and young girls as a coach. You know, ever since you stopped playing, you've been on this mission to help people and to help people get better. You know, Tony, um, it's funny. A couple of years, maybe 15 years ago, one of my former coaches, Ted Sanders, I saw him and we were talking and he said, I knew you would be the one to come back. And I said, how did you know I was going to come back? How did you back? know that? Yeah, because I was in San Diego and I wasn't yeah. thinking about coming back. Cincinnati. Yeah, man, I never thought of I was going to move back to the Bay Area. And he said, I knew you would come back. And I tried to ask him why. And he said, I just knew that. And I, I think once I came back and established roots again, I started to meet a lot of different people. And they started opening doors that I never thought would ever open before. And they started having ideas that I had never thought about. And this one guy came to me and said, hey, uh, there's a program called the Uncuff Project. And I said, well, what is that? He said, well, there's a guy inside right now. He's been in for 31 years and he has this program. And I think you might be a great part of it or you could help really, really help be a part of it. And I, I got a chance to talk to the guy. He was still inside and we talked about it. And I said, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing what you're doing. It's, this program started in the chapels of San Quentin. And it wow. was just one of those things where once it was told to me, it just was seemed like it was a calling for me. How can I help those who are marginalized and have been in prisons? And, you know, me and that scripture, I, start, I saw that scripture and it just hit me, bam. Oh, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, I wasn't looking for anything behind it other than to help people. And I've been doing that now the last three years. Yeah, I, I'm not shocked by it. But, yeah, I can see where, you know, when you're playing and you're all about being what's best for Bip Roberts and you're trying to uh, establish yourself as a big leaguer. And then of course you have a, a nice long career. You don't think about that, but I can see just knowing you for a long time, being a guy with a big heart and not only being a guy with a big heart, but being a guy who cares a lot about where you're from. Yeah, absolutely. And when I came back to Oakland, I started seeing a lot of things that I didn't see before. Oakland's changed a little bit it, since you grew it, up. You, you're right. Yeah. It's changed a lot. And, and I saw the homelessness and, and just everybody in despair and a lot of guys that I grew up with, they were having problems with, whether it was some type of uh, drug issue or something that they had been incarcerated and now they couldn't get jobs or it was just always something. And a lot of times they would see me and say, hey, Bip, how you doing? And I say, hey, man, I'm doing great. And it would turn to what they needed. And it seemed like the conversation was always what they needed. It went from seeing how I was doing to how could I help them? And so, uh, again, Five years ago, when I was I finally figured out my walk and what I needed to do and got on my knees and I prayed about it, I got baptized and I've been around the church and the spirit ever since. And I just know I'm here to help now. I'm here to serve. That's what Jesus was. Jesus came to serve, not be served. And I just feel like I'm that same type when it comes to spiritual. I want to help. I don't need anything from you. I just want to see what I can do to help you. You know, where we are in the baseball season, all stay, all star games over. Every single time you watch the news, they're showing you the United States of America and how hot it is everywhere around the country. And you know, having played in Cincinnati and you played in Cleveland, you played in Kansas City and you played all around this country. And you, you know, when we start talking about the dog days, a lot has to do with the heat and the humidity and the travel. And you've now been doing this for months coming out of spring training. Guys get to be dog tired. So 
you know, this is the grind right now. You got a lot of big series every single three, four days. We're talking about, oh, this team's now playing this team and this. I mean, you're looking at the standings. We're looking at wild card trading deadlines coming up. Who's buying? Who's selling? This is when it starts to get tough. Absolutely. And it seems like it starts to speed up. Every team you're playing, they're a big league team. The game moves faster. When you go back east, it, like you said, it's hot and humid. You go into a series, you're wearing 100, me, 160 pounds. I come out wearing 148 pounds. And it's like, I can't get that back the rest of the season. I'm going to have to deal with that. These are the dog days. And, again, when you're a young player, or even a veteran player, you start to do things a little different the second half where you try to hold back during the workouts and save that energy for the game because that's the most important thing. Yeah, you still get your workout in in the morning. And then you get home, you eat lunch, and you go to sleep, and you get up and you go to the ballpark. But it's a matter of once you come from those hot states, how do you get that weight back? How do you get that energy back? It's difficult because the next day you're going to play a team. Again, that's a big league team that's out there to, to win. And the results are we want a W or L, but you got to find a way to recuperate. You can't be hanging out all night. You can't be drinking all night. You can't be doing a lot of things that's going to take you away from being able to perform physically. And so that's where the, 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 the experience comes in. We have guys on your team to help get you through this road. I remember playing with guys like David Justice and, and Templeton and, and Barry Larkin and Omar Vizquel and watching how these guys went about their daily routines and understanding if I'm going to have any type of longevity, I got to start doing what they're doing something I had never learned before, but I watched those guys and how they were able to be available every day. And that's something that each young player has to look at and say, hey, this is what veteran guys do to stay around. I'm going to incorporate some of that. You know, that's kind of like with the A's right now, where I talk about this is the greatest thing going right now for a young player is you know you got a chance to get to the big leagues with the A's. You know that. There's really no one standing in your way. There's nobody with a 10-year contract. There's no, you know, every position, if you play, we always talk about Deion Sanders, you ball, you get the call, right? You will have that opportunity. The only thing that, that you know, listening to you right there is I think about you're a young guy, you come up, you need to learn that routine. There really isn't that many people here to teach you that routine. I mean, coaches can, but as you mentioned, you learn so much from players not just coaches but other players absolutely right the coaches are coaching they're doing what they can to help you but they're not going to play the game they're not going to play 162 these players on the field are and you have to find that example you have to find that guy like if i'm in texas and i watch marcus simeon the entire time what are you doing what are you eating how much sleep do you get and when do you get your workouts in? He works out every day, all day. <laughs> Marcus Simeon. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at guys like that. And yeah. I want to, you know, some guys, they, they just, they work out, but they still get hurt. Maybe it's just in the genes or so. But I, I just think you have to watch and see what guys are doing. When you when I was with the A's and I watched Ricky and he would call in the morning and say, hey, I'm going to work out. So I'd go work out with him. And then we'd have lunch. Then he'd go to his room. I'd go to my room, take a nap. Then we'd get up and go to the ballpark. I didn't get hurt. And I think that's the reason why I didn't get hurt is because you have to make sure that you take care of your body first. Your body is everything. You've got to put a lot of water into your body. You've got to put a lot of fruit into your body. you got to stay away from sugars. you got to stay away from fries and burgers and all that type of stuff. And you just have to discipline yourself. You can't eat pizza every night after a ball game. you got to find a place that can at least give you some vegetables 
to go along with some good meat and then you got to drink that water but you can't each and every day fill yourself up with some some gas that just is not good gas it's got to be that right gas the high propane gas that you know i'm getting the best and it's got everything i need in it so that i can heal through the night and i think the most important thing i think players are starting to learn is that you've got to get eight hours of sleep if you don't get your sleep and you wake up the next day and you're tired that's the day where you pull a muscle or you tear a muscle or you hurt something because your body has not recuperated from the night before. You know, I think about Ricky Henderson or any of these guys, you know, they're all going to be collecting in Cooperstown this weekend for the Hall of Fame inductions. And to get the, to get in the Hall of Fame, you got to play a long time. So all those guys up on the stage got 15 plus years of playing and Ricky was 25. You now you could talk about how gifted Ricky Henderson was, but you don't play 25 years unless you take care of yourself day after day. And it's just not during the season. It's in the off season too. Absolutely. Again, these guys have figured it out. And when you watch a guy and myself, Ricky, I watched Gary Templeton. I watched Tony Gwynn. I watched the Larkins. Uh, three of those guys went to the hall of fame. And one guy, if he didn't tear his knee up and play for 10 years on one bum knee, he probably would be in the hall of fame. And that's Timby. And I watched what they did. And I tried to emulate what they did. Uh, me being 148 by the end of the season, I had already lost everything that I gained. And so it was difficult for me. Joe Carter used to say, man, eat some donuts because you have no body fat. You need some body <laughs> fat. Give him a gallon of grease or something. Let him drink that down because I didn't have any body fat. And I think that was something that worked against me uh, when it comes to dehydration. You know, it's like you're pulling all the water out of your muscles and now they're tight. And as soon as you you break on something, that's when you pull your muscles. And so I started having those type of problems after 33. I kept saying to myself, why does this keep happening? But that's just my genetics. I still don't have much body fat, but I'm not playing every day so I can get away with it. Guys have to figure out what their body type is and make sure that you put the right nutrition in there so that you can go out there and perform. When you get down the stretch in baseball, is there anything better when you're playing those games, you're playing in those series where you know you're you're truly you're always jockeying for position, but you're not thinking about that early. Now when it gets late, you're scoreboard watching, you're either ahead of a team, you're or you're trying to catch a team, and every single night, every single pitch, everything is magnified. Yeah, there were a couple of years there where we were in it, and it was just amazing to see how a team responds to that and how they responded to the pressure and of going out there and just performing and performing very well. And, it, and it's just special when you see that. And I think it was uh, something that just went around the entire team, whether it was in San Diego, whether it was in Cincy, whether it was in Cleveland. It was something that was similar was the confidence that each guy had in that room, that every time you walked in that room and you looked around, you just felt like you were going to win that day. And especially when you have – a goal in mind and that goal is to win that night how everyone really came together and performed leadoff hitters did their thing the middle guys did their thing and the bottom guys did their thing pitching did their thing and everybody came out there and we talk about five star they were a little bit more than five star you know right now it's time to play spoiler for the A's. we just saw that against the boston red sox red sox are going walking out of here going we just lost two out of three yeah you lost two out of three now here comes the Houston Astros, and then it's going to be somebody else, and then somebody else. If you could get into that clubhouse and you could talk to these young players and say, hey, this is your opportunity to play. 
This is your opportunity. It's basically a job audition every single day, not only for the A's, but the other 29 teams. You're always trying to show your wares. What advice would you give to these young players about having that chip on your shoulder and enjoying the role of being the spoiler, which hopefully teaches you how to then be the team that's the better team? Well, you, you first have to understand mentally where you are. And anytime you start to try to put pressure on yourself is when you're not going to perform. So the one thing I would say is, hey, guys, there's no pressure on us. Let's just go out and have fun. If you come and get your work in every day, when we start this game, I just need you to have fun, just like you were in Little League. Just come out and play. Don't worry about who we're playing. Don't worry about anything else. Yeah, you say spoiler, but that's, again, putting some type of label on what you're doing, which now you're trying to live up to that. Just come out let's just play. That's all we have to do. You've been doing this since you were 10 years old. You've had fun doing it. It's the same thing right now. Let's not put any pressure on ourselves because as soon as these young guys put pressure on themselves, that's when they start to go backwards. The thing about this game of baseball is that you don't play for numbers. You don't play for hits. You don't play for anything other than understanding where you are in the game. You play for situations. And in those situations, if you put pressure on yourself, you never come through. So you have to play mind games with yourself, guys. You're young. You guys have this energy. You should have no fear of anything. And because of that, you should be able to play with no pressure. And if you can play without pressure, you're going to get the best out of your abilities. Let's end on this Hall of Fame weekend this weekend. And Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland are going to be going in uh, into Cooperstown this Sunday. You played with quite a bit of Hall of Famers. Let's see, you got Gwen, you got Alomar, you got Larkin. Had to have some more guys in Cleveland. You Who got else? Jim Tomey. Jim Tomey. Was Eddie Murray? You, you I didn't play with Eddie Murray. No, no. How many Hall of Famers did you play with? Man, I'm, now that you have me thinking about it. It's quite a few. Uh, it was a few. But those are the ones that right off the top of my head I can think about. And I'm sure there probably were a few more. All right. So, so when you were playing with them, just say, what is it like playing with a guy when you know, okay, this guy's going to be a Hall of Famer? What, what, what was the... I guess the one ingredient that they had that you knew that made them different from everybody else. What made them better than everybody else was the ability they showed on the field every day. And it didn't matter who they were facing. They were always better than the person they were facing. Even if it was the top 10% of pitchers, they were still going up there and doing what they did consistently. Tony against, here's an example of how good Tony was. We faced we faced uh, the big lefty, um, Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson, and Randy never threw changeups. And Tony said, "I'm going to sit on the changeup." And everybody said, "He don't throw changeups." What does he do? He sits on the changeup. He gets it. He gets a base hit. Really? How did what? <laughs> Wait a minute. He doesn't even throw changeups, but yeah. he threw him the one changeup and he got a base hit. Barry Larkin had something that no one else could really do. If you threw him a ball to second and he had to pick it, most guys go from top, from bottom up. Barry went from top down so he could put a tag on you. Nobody does that. Roberto Alomar had a play where he could go to his right, slide, backhanded, come up and throw. Nobody did that. I remember Joe Morgan said, he's changing the game. So when you see guys able to do certain things that other guys don't do, that's when you know they're special and someday they will be in the Hall of Fame. I want to give Robbie a little love here because they had this thing going on Twitter where they say greatest second baseman you've ever seen. 
And they put Ryan Sandberg up there and said, go, everybody, who is your guy? And Sandberg was a terrific player. He's a Hall of Famer. Uh, Joe Morgan, by numbers, is the greatest second baseman of all time. But Joe Morgan is really before my time. When he started with Houston, He that was in the 60s. And I want to say when he got to the Big Red Machine in 71 or 72, I was just born. So Joe Morgan, to me, remembering Joe Morgan was at the very, very end of his career. So I can't, I can't say, even though I think I did maybe Joe Morgan's last interview, Ray Fossey and I and Ken Korak, um, I really didn't get to see the prime of his career. To me, the best guy I ever saw, if, you have, if I had to say who's the greatest second baseman you ever saw, I'd say Roberto Alomar. Roberto Alomar could do it all, especially when he got to Toronto. Now he got to truly showcase that with a couple World Series titles, and then he was constantly in the playoffs with the, with the then Cleveland Indians. There, Robbie could do it all. I mean, extra base hits, if he, he could hit it out of the ballpark, the way he could run, fielding, he was just, it, it was like a dance. It was beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and, and Joe used a glove that was no bigger than his hand. So Joe had a different way of playing. Joe had more power, and Joe was more of an RBI guy. because Joe remember, was a two-time Joe, MVP back-to-back. Joe, back. Joe, I mean, Joe was the man, and I got a chance to Scott, see him. I, I want to say, look it up, Cody. Joe Morgan has like 100 war or right, right around 100 war. Mm-hmm. I mean, no other second baseman's even close to him. But once again, I, I wouldn't be honest with you. I, I didn't see him. Right. right in 75, 76, when he won the MVP, I was three and four years old. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 100.4. Yeah. I mean, Joe Morgan, statistically by far the greatest second baseman. Absolutely. Now, if you say who was the greatest second baseman I ever played with, I'd say Robbie Alomar. Robbie made me better. I was the leadoff guy. Robbie hit second. That year, Robbie behind me, I stole over 40 bags, 46, and scored over 100 runs, hit 300. Robbie had a knack of understanding the game a little different than everybody else. His fundamentals turning two was different from everybody else's. Robbie was the first guy I saw could turn a double play basically without the ball hitting his glove. It was unbelievable <laughs> how he could do that. And it's all because of his dad, Sandy Alomar, teaching him at a young age all the right fundamentals. And then Robbie having a flair about him, how he played. Robbie could bunt. Robbie could hit for power. Robbie could he could hit the ball in the gap. He could do everything he could steal bases his again his iq and understanding the game was far beyond a lot of guys i had played with he like i said he made me better because he understood if i can get bipper to second base i can drag bunt or i can drive him in he and i were one at one point in time i think we were the best one two combo in baseball well talking about a guy that i saw with my own eyes that i loved growing up as a kid this guy was one of my favorite players growing up. Uh, watching you in the Padres when I was growing up was always special. And it's even better that I've gotten to know you through all these years. We've done radio together. We've done TV together. One of my all-time favorites. And you and I later on today on A's pre- and post-game live on NBC Sports California. Hey, you told me this was going to be like a one-two uh, question interview. And we've been on here now 45, 50 minutes. What's going on? Two man? hours with Pip, Ray, <laughs> with Pip Roberts right here on A's Cast Live. Well, that's going to do it for A's Cast Live. Chris Townsend and I will be back tomorrow from the Treehouse from 4 to 6 o'clock for A's Cast Live. We want to thank Pip Roberts, Steve Sparks, and Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs, Talking Hall of Fame, for joining us today. We'll have Mark Kotze and Eno Saris tomorrow on A's Cast Live. Coming up next... Ace Total Access brought to you by Chevron. And we'll talk to everyone tomorrow at 4 o'clock right here on Ace Cast Live. 
This is Chris Townsend, and it is summertime. You want to look your best, and I can't tell you how excited I am. Commander Cody, we've got our new shipment from Link Soul, all the summer gear. So whether you're playing golf or you're going out for dinner, you're hanging out with your buddies, or you're going to the beach, go see our friends at LinkSoul.com. And right now they have an offer where you can get 20% off. Go to LinkSoul.com. Remember in the big leagues, look good, play good. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.